Good to be with you here this, this soupy morning. Uh, but it's a beautiful day. My texts, first of all, come from the gospel. That wonderful little piece that began the gospel, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. And then the familiar words at the end of the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me. I expect most of us here share the fundamental awareness that in this life, we are always in the presence of something far bigger than ourselves. We both look for it, but we also approach it sometimes with the both appropriate fear and, and trepidation. But the need for it provokes in us the need to get away from all the immediate demands of being in this world and become aware of the greater reality that mysteriously shapes this world and all of our lives. Even when we are threatened by death and the end of life, we still look for the presence of something more around us, which we, of course, here call God. Yet when we come to church, hearing some of the words we read and the stories we tell and the various Episcopal calisthenics that we go through, we don't necessarily find that what we do here always puts us back in tune with the universe. For at times, churches can seem quite as busy and self-involved as the crowds and the people of the world that we are busy trying to escape. This week, new images of this vast universe entered our awareness as a tiny spacecraft shot its way forward in the first encounter with Pluto in outer space. How minuscule that encounter actually was, yet look at the vastness that even that minuscule window was able to see and reveal. And it makes one aware of the incomprehensible vastness of the universe itself. And I know that I'm showing my age, but I remember just as clearly the same experience when I gaped up at little Sputnik in 1957, blinking its way across the sky at night. It was only 23 inches in diameter, nothing more than a stainless steel sphere and a little radio transmitter. And yet, we thought we had entered outer space. The current spacecraft is a little larger, but it's still so minuscule in relation to what it's examining that it's almost humorous. But it raises the big question, what do we make of encounters with realities so far greater than ourselves? And what do we find in that? The first is that we don't have to go to missions of Mars or Pluto to have those encounters. We can have them literally anywhere, for they are all around us and beside us. The nucleic acid helix of DNA is right inside of you, and it determines you. Yet how many of you have seen it or known it, yet it makes you up? 
We talk so easily of atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons. Who's seen them? Perhaps this is a time to read a short piece from what I'll call the epistle of Alfred Einstein, who reflected on his experience of this thing we're talking about in these words. He said, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of all true art and science. Whoever does not know it and can no longer wonder, no longer marvel, is as good as dead, and his eyes are dimmed. It was the experience of mystery, even if it was mixed with fear, that engendered religion, a knowledge of the existence of something we cannot penetrate. Our perceptions of the profoundest reason and the most radiant beauty, which only their most primitive forms are accessible to our minds, it is that knowledge and that emotion that constitutes religiosity. And in that sense, and in that sense alone, I am a deeply religious man. Interesting thing for Einstein to say. Well, there is the religiosity of a scientist, but there's also a much more common one in our everyday lives. It is just encountering those moments of mysteriousness, of otherness, wherever we find them. And yet it was Jesus who in our gospel this morning showed what he did to get back in touch with this encounter. And he said, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. Now I've just returned from a month in, a northern, in northern Ontario in Canada where I own a little camp on an isolated island which my father found in 1928 and he discovered it through his father who found the lake back in 1914. So we've been going to this deserted place for nearly a hundred years. My grandfather was a scouter and he devoted and he was also a devoted churchman and he committed himself to sharing the healing experience of wilderness with all he knew. He discovered the lake and the comrades and the families who had come through the aftermath of First World War needed that very much. They were servicemen in much despair, having little opportunity in the economy which had shrunk into near recession. They needed to escape. And so he founded at that time in 1922 the Anglican Summer Camp and it survived to fulfill that purpose of rest and relief for nearly a hundred years. And although it was called an Anglican camp, it was in fact open to anybody and everybody who needed the healing of that time away in a relatively deserted place. The only thing that the campers did and say in common was this simple island prayer. It was often incorporated in grace at meals. O oh God, we thank you for the gift of this food and the work of those who made it, for the freshness of this morning, 
for the glories of the sunset sky and for these days of pleasant recreation and happy fellowship. That sort of said it all. And I think you can feel the unencumbered simplicity of that prayerful wish just to come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. And above all, it was encircled with that sense of thankfulness and relief. Now often when we do the same things, we go off into the country, but we could just as often go into some form of seclusion. We could go into retreat. We are seeking the healing grace of being in the presence of something far larger than ourselves. And when we are in its presence, we, we imbibe it. We, we try to soak it up and we hope to infuse ourselves with it. For somehow with it, we'll see things from a better perspective than we had before. For those of us in the Judeo-Christian tradition, a lot of us get that reflective spirit when we read some of the wisdom literature in scripture. You may recall the words from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 about human life and the reflection on the seasons of the world. And I think this is a reflection just out of such an encounter. For everything, there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, a time to be to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw them away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. You could just hear the, the sort of distancing that is going on as he makes that reflection, a distancing of getting in perspective what it just is he or she is facing, whether it's death or whether it's threat or whatever, the distance enables it to be put in perspective. Things around still don't change when that happens, even to live or to die, but the process seems less imposing and threatening when you have that perspective on it. And we assume that in these reflective moments, Jesus found and sustained faith in God who gave him the understanding of the larger ways of God. And those became the subject of his teaching. And those who wished to see and hear and be present with him were not the leaders and success stories of the generation. They were the poor. They were the sick, the lonely, the suffering, the widowed, the marginalized, those who found the realities and challenges of life to be more than they can manage, those were the people who were interested. And Jesus brought the, world, the news that the world is the creation of God and that 
God is all about life and well-being, and Jesus brought hope and perspective that enabled one to live life with goodwill and hope. That's what the perspective brought. And that is just what we all come for at gatherings such as this this morning of like-minded seekers, whether we be in the wilderness or whether we be in active communities. Coming here doesn't change what we're facing, but it does give us a hopeful perspective which enables us to take hold of our lives rather than crumble and be defeated by them. Now I have to admit that there are some things we say and talk about here in church which seem a little disconnected sometimes from the struggles. I looked at the colic we used this morning and it said, have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and blindness we cannot ask. In our liturgies, there is often an assumption of helplessness, which those of us in the modern world find really hard to take. I remember as a young man my dislike of all the stories that were related to sheep, sheep as what we are, and I thought sheep to be eminently dumb animals. And then I finally heard one of the parables explained by someone who had actually cared for herds of sheep and goats in the Middle East. And I found that sheep are actually quite intelligent and intuitive. It seems they have an innate awareness of danger. It seems they quite effectively smell the presence of water. So if you were a sheep herder, you actually spend a good deal of time following your sheep rather than leading them. Once I'd heard that, I was able to make my peace with all those stories about dumb sheep. But I remember later, as a young seminarian at Harvard, I was still dealing with the issue that in modern life, people have a greater degree of responsibility that they have for other people as well as themselves. And I remember being quite struck, and I made a, this a subject of a, an essay, by the World Exposition in Montreal in 1967, when the theme of the World Exposition was called Man and His World. The theme was drawn from Antoine Saint-Exupéry, the author of what most of you know to be the book The Little Prince. And in his central book called Terre des Hommes, which is it's filled with dreams and hopes for the future. And Saint-Exupéry, uh, an aviator by trade as well as a philosopher, wrote about how deeply moved he was when flying for the first time over Argentina, he happened to notice a few flickering lights scattered below him across an almost empty plain. He said, they twinkled here and there alone like stars. And he knew that meant there were people there. In truth, he said, being made aware of our own solitude can give us insight into the solitude of others. It can even cause us to gravitate towards one another as if to lessen our distress. Without this inevitable solitude, would there be any fusion at all, any tenderness between human beings? Tenderness between human beings was what he discovered. The awareness of solitude of all creation 
and the human need and expression of solidarity. That's what Stansbury found in Man and His World, a phrase that expressed his anguish and his hope that we could find this tenderness between human beings and build our modern world upon it. And the result was the theme, Man and His World, and it focused not so much on human dependence, not on human independence, but on human interdependence. In other words, sheep and shepherd, we have to survive together. So where does all that leave us here in this church at Ridgefield on a Sunday morning? In the presence of something far greater than ourselves, which we can discover both by looking towards it, but equally from looking far within. As we do so, we encounter a massive universe which we cannot control. Alfred Einstein also said, the most important question you can ever ask is if this world is a friendly place. And he put himself amongst those who find it friendly and said that was a key aspect to his entire life. I think those of us in faith communities are those two who share that, but who share one other key experience. And it's that one that St. Exbury described as the tenderness between human beings that we have come to know in the lives of those who have lived by faith. That gives us solidarity. And the psalmist talked about Psalm 23 when he expressed this morning that the universe is friendly and that means that goodness and mercy are the things that follow us all the days of our life. Goodness and mercy our reaction to the experience of the vast universe. Amen.